All right, you ready? If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. All right. But is it true? Good job. But is it true? Are you happy today? Are you happy? A lot of our life is focused on trying to be happy. Many of our thoughts patterns go like this. I'll be happy when. I'll be happy when. But is that ever true? We tell ourselves, I'll be satisfied when I make X amount of money. Or I'll be happy when I move to a new city. I'll be happy if that person would just give me the thing that I am fixated on, the thing that I want. Or even the all too common that we all kind of feel sometimes is I'll be happy when it's Friday or I'll be happy at five o'clock when I can get out of here. But is that ever true? That's an easy thing to promise ourselves that you'd be happy if only but it's not really true. Yes, you might have a short burst of happiness, but those things cannot sustain joy and happiness in your life. Because happiness doesn't come from getting or achieving something. So if you're not happy right now, you're not going to be happy whenever you get this thing that you've been waiting for. The Beatitudes tell us that happy and fortunate are the people that realize that they are in desperate need of Jesus. That's what makes you happy. Something that can support the weight of your soul is realizing that I am desperately wicked, but I'm unbelievably loved, and I need Jesus in every moment of my life. Because happiness doesn't come from getting things or achieving goals or getting your way or even finding yourself. Matthew 16, 25 tells us whoever would save his life will lose it. How many people do we see doing that, right? Gathering stuff to themselves or trying to make their mark in this world through their own power or, or just trying to get their way and get, the, uh, uh, pri uh, get their uh, you know, respect that they deserve. Many times we set out to do these things, and we think we're going to find what we're looking for. But here it says, whoever will save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, Jesus says, will find it. When you realize that you are in desperately need of Jesus and you lean on him every moment of every day, which is hard, and it's, and it's not something that I have attained, and none of us will attain that thing until we get to heaven. But the more we do it, the happier we'll be. This purpose and fulfillment and contentment and joy and, yes, happiness that we seek comes from realizing that we can't do it on our own. It comes from realizing that we desperately need Jesus. And when we put ourselves to the side and we give up our whole lives to Christ, that is when we find the life that we're looking for. These Beatitudes are not a, a, a description of a, a checklist, but it's, it's a, a description of what a follower of Jesus looks like when they're motivated by the love of Christ. It's not just the thing that I force myself to do. What you do is you love Jesus and these things will happen. So verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers. For they will be called 
the sons of God. Wait a minute. A follower of Jesus is supposed to be a peacemaker? This is what I'm supposed to do? Can you think of many Christians that are peacemakers? I know I can't personally. I've known some, but I can list a lot of fight starters, right? I can list a lot of drama starters. But here it tells us to be peacemakers. See, it takes maturity to be a peacemaker. It takes a person seeing the big picture, the big perspective about what is most important. That's what it takes to be a peacemaker. A fight starter is going to see all the things that aren't important. And they're going to bring them up, and they're going to stir them up, and they're going to make a fight. But a peacemaker is going to see, hey, we all desperately need Jesus. And I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. And let's get together and follow Jesus together. Now, a peacemaker is not just someone who breaks up fights. It's someone who changes the climate of a situation. See, there's two kinds of people. There's thermostat people and thermometer people. See, a thermometer copies the temperature of the room, right? If it's cold, they're cold. If it's hot, they're hot. We know a lot of people like this. They go with the crowd, and if everyone else is grumpy, then they're grumpy. If, if everyone's excited, they're excited. And they copy the temperature of the room. But a thermostat can change the climate. A thermostat can make a cold room hot or a hot room cold. And maybe you know people like this, right? They walk into a room full of negativity and complaining and make it a room of joyfulness and laughter. Have you all met Benita Totten? There's an example right there. She's embarrassed now, but... <laughs> she comes to a council meeting and all of a sudden everyone's smiling. You know, not the, you know, the most exciting thing in the world, but... That, that's the type of a thermostat person, someone that can change the situation. Now, the problem with the thermostat person is they can be both used for good and used for evil because there's people that can make a happy situation a, a frustrating situation as well. They can make a happy room apathetic. They can take a wonderful Sunday morning and uh, derail it with a comment after the Sunday morning service. See, thermostat people lead, but they can lead towards Jesus or they can lead towards sin and self. And we need to say, I'm going to be a thermostat person and a peacemaker that does my best to lead others in the right direction and having the right attitude. I'm going to push people to see the things that are most important and lead people to follow Jesus. That God is looking for mature Christians to be peacemakers, not drama starters, not gossips, not, not purveyors of bad attitudes. We have plenty of those in the world. The Bible calls drama starters scorners and scoffers and mockers. And they, the Bible doesn't treat them uh, lightly. These are people that don't contribute. They just take shots at the people uh, that are doing the work. The Bible tells us to avoid these type of people. All they see is the negative. They don't give people the benefit of the doubt. They think they always know better. They don't bring peace. We need to make sure we're not letting those type of people lead our lives in the wrong direction. Peacemakers don't gossip. 
They don't complain. Peacemakers don't spread rumors or insults or offend people. And when we do these things, what we're not realizing is not only do we hurt other people, we steal the joy out of our own lives. You're not happy if you're a drama starter or a fight starter. You can't be because your life is not founded on the right things. You're not following Jesus with your life. If you're constantly finding yourself in the middle of a fight, you might need to look at yourself. You might have the wrong motives. You might have the wrong purpose. And we're hurting ourselves and we're stealing the joy out of our own lives. In a church, we need to decide to be the op- uh, when we decide that we want to be the opposite of a peacemaker, we hurt the mission. We hurt the ability to spread the gospel to our community by distracting each other. And ultimately, it's it's something that we should pray for about these people and and ultimately uh, hope that they would change because a drama starter is an insecure person that wants to feel important, so they insert themselves into the middle of drama. But what they don't understand is that they are important. And they are valued and they are loved and they don't need to start stuff. God already loves them. And they already have a place at the table. See, conflict is a great place for Christians to show what makes us different. That we're going to be different than how the world acts. That we're going to fight and poke each other in the eye. The Bible shows us that these occurrences are opportunities to emulate Jesus and to be different. Ken Sandy says, conflict presents unique opportunities to serve other people. It's easy for us when we get in conflict to bow up and to get mad and to lash out. These are perfect opportunities for us to show that we love Jesus. When something's going on in your workplace or in your family or in your neighborhood and conflict comes, that's a perfect time to show that you are different. When others are weighed down with problems and stress, God will sometimes use people to encourage them and help them carry their burdens. Conflict is a place that you can show that you love Jesus. It's a test of character. It's a test of our walk with God. And it ultimately, conflict shows who really holds our heart and who is on the throne of our heart, self or Jesus Christ. Conflict is going to show that stuff. That's where the battle happens. That's where we Uh, You know, we have the armor of God on. And that's an opportunity for us to bow up and to get mad or lash out or to be like Christ who answered not a word when his accusers said terrible and wicked things against the God of the universe. Romans 12, 18 says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, and you can only control your actions, right? But it says live peaceably with all. If it's possible, you need to set out, as far as it depends on you, to live peaceably with all. These things are hard. This isn't easy. This isn't the culture. The culture tells us that we need to have it our way, and we need to make things happen. We need to push. 
But we're called to live peaceably with one another as long as, as far as it depends on us. Now, there is a difference between a peacekeeper and a peacemaker. Those two things are different. A peacekeeper will seek to appease people and to ignore and bury the problems. Pretend they don't exist. But a peacemaker will overlook the minor offenses or they will talk personally or graciously with those whose offenses seem too uh, serious to overlook. So the small things they're, they're, they're going to uh, look past, but the things that are too big, the things that they've decided that I'm going to be bitter if I don't go to this person and talk to them, they take it to the person seeking to restore rather than condemn instead of accepting premature compromise or allowing relationships to wither a peacemaker will actively pursue genuine and real peace and reconciliation and going through the hard conversations not just ignoring it not just burying anger and bitterness so anytime you get a little poke you lash out and blow up there's real reconciliation that comes from a peacemaker getting involved, forgiving others as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us, realizing that we have sinned against God more than anyone else has ever sinned against us, and seeking just and mutually beneficial solutions to our differences. That's another quote from Ken Sandy. See, a peacemaker is different. A peacemaker heads headlong into conflict, with the idea not to fight, but to restore and to seek the other person's good, not just their own good. Peacekeeping is passive, but peacemaking is active. Peacekeeping ignores and peacemaking restores. Tony Evans says to be at peace is to be in harmony. To be a peacemaker is to be a mediator and resolve conflicts between estranged parties or groups. Imagine if we sent this amount of people into our community as peacemakers. What kind of difference could that make? To step into conflict between people and seek to resolve conflict between estranged parties or group. You make peace by identifying the truth addressing the sin, and constructing a bridge between those that are odds with one another. It's not easy. It takes prayer and it takes constantly relying on Jesus. Peacemaking can be difficult, but if we persevere in it, the Bible says we will be called the sons of God because we'll look, at our, we'll look like our Father. Jesus is our peacemaker because he bridged the gap and created uh, that was created by our sin and granted us peace with God. This isn't something right now that Christians are known for, being peacemakers. We need more thermostat people that can lead people and groups away from conflict and toward peace. And those of you that are kind of like lean towards that fight starter attitude, you might say, well, sometimes you need to fight. And that is true. But it's the motivation, right? Jesus didn't flip tables because his feelings were hurt. Jesus flipped tables because something was wrong and people were being pushed out 
of the temple, that there, there were a place for the Gentiles to meet and to pray. He didn't just get, his, uh, you know, get offended or something like that and lash out at people. That's the difference. There's righteous anger is because things aren't right. Not against you, but against others. And there are times that we need to take a, a, a peace and, and become a peacemaker in conflict and step into it and say, hey, this offended me. But the way you do that is you go right to the person, not to everybody else. Blissful and fortunate are the peacemakers. And fortunate is the church uh, that's full of peacemakers because they look like Jesus. Bringing people together. And as a church, if we can ever all get on the same page, we could do some amazing things for God. Look in the New Testament. Every time the uh, disciples and his apostles said that they were in one accord and in one mind, God did miraculous and amazing things. And it's not about doing it your way or my way. It's about following Jesus with our lives. All right, let's go on. Y'all are being quiet. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So blessed are you when, other, uh, you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. That word falsely is important. There, people are uttering things about you that are true. That's on you. Uh, all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. What? Persecution comes and I'm supposed to rejoice and be glad for your reward in, uh, is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Wait a minute here, right? This doesn't make any sense. We've talked, this whole thing is about how, uh, you know, this is how we can be blessed and blissful and fortunate and happy. And now you're talking about persecution? Being mistreated or harassed or punished? Blessed are the persecuted for righteousness' sake, once again, doing things to make things right, for, for not just in, to make people do my thing, but to make things right according to God's will and his kingdom. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, if you follow Christ long enough, you're going to feel some level of persecution. Whether it's your family mocking you for going on a missions trip instead of vacation, or for going to church on Christmas Eve. Maybe it's your coworkers that are taking shots at you because you don't go to the bar with them uh, on a Friday night to get drunk. Maybe those arrows will even come from inside the church when you're trying to do what's right. Obviously, we aren't dying for our faith like some places uh, across this world. But struggle will come if you follow Jesus. And when someone is walking close to God, they're going to be different. And people sometimes aren't going to know whether to respect them or to ridicule them. 
But people that follow Jesus can make an impact. And when you have different goals and different direction and you have more mercy and more forgiveness, then you might just get a chance to be salt and light. And salt may just melt an icy heart. And light may just show a blind eye, Jesus. So push through the slight persecution you may feel when you're trying to follow Jesus and have faith that you're on the right track when hardship comes, when you're fighting for righteous things and setting things right in the world because Jesus was persecuted too. But... These verses are not excuses to be a jerk, right? And just claim that I'm being persecuted. This is an excuse just to, you know, set out and flip tables whenever your feelings are hurt. No, Jesus, yes, there was times where he uh, uh, approached the sin of people and he went directly at the Pharisees. But it wasn't because he felt like he was mistreated or things were unfair in his life. It's because he had a heart for people. Jesus was persecuted. And if you follow and look like Jesus, you may be too. But don't be a jerk. See, following Jesus isn't easy. And these verses remind us again that it rains on the wicked and the righteous. Bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. And really, ultimately, if we remember, we're all bad people. Some of us have just chosen to follow Jesus and to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Following Jesus doesn't equal a life of riches and comfort, but you can still be blessed because life is more than food and the body is more than raiment. There's more to life than this physical world. And following Jesus is worth any hardships you may face. Happy and fortunate are the people who are Uh, realize that they are desperately in need of Jesus. Because when you realize you're spiritually broke and you bring nothing to the table and you mourn over it and we learn to control our attitudes and emotions when we hunger and thirst after what is right and when we have mercy and let things slide in the people's lives around us, we have a pure heart and pure motives and we set out to make peace, not just keep peace, but make peace and to jump into conflict and to resolve uh, discord. And people will either love you or hate you, it just told us. But these are marks of being a blessed person that follows Christ. And for real joy, you might have to pay the price. But it will be worth it all. When we see Jesus, life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. Oft times the day seems long, our trials hard to bear, And we're tempted to complain and to murmur in despair. But Christ will soon appear to catch his bride away. All tears forever over in God's eternal day. Sometimes the sky looks dark with not a ray of light. We're tossed and driven on, no human help in sight. But there is one in heaven 
who knows our deepest cares. Let Jesus solve your problems. Just go to him in prayer. Life's day will soon be over. All storms forever past. We'll cross the great divide to glory, safe at last. We'll share the joys of heaven, a harp, a home, a crown. We'll share uh, these things with Jesus, and the tempter will be banished. We'll lay our burdens down. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. How do we have joy when hardship comes? How do we have joy when a loved one passes away? How do we have joy when we don't understand? We must remember that God is in control. He makes no mistakes and God is good. It's all we have is hope and the faith that God is in control and God is good. Joseph didn't understand why he was sold into slavery by his brothers. He didn't understand why he was thrown into prison. But God understood. And God was training Joseph in prison for when he would be in the palace, in a place to help and rescue and save his country and family. And you might not understand right now, but if you're following Jesus and every day leaning on him, realizing you're desperately in need of him and hungering and thirsting after righteous things, you may not understand right now, but it will be worth it all. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blissful and fortunate are those that realize that they are spiritually broken. They bring nothing to the table. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blissful and fortunate are those that grieve over their sin and realize that they are spiritually broken, poor, and realize that your sins hurt God and hurt others and hurts you. Blessed are the meek but they shall inherit the earth. Blissful and fortunate are those that give control over to God and have self-control because meekness isn't weakness, it's power under control. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. That means blissful and fortunate are those that would do anything to be right with God, just like a starving man would do anything for food. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. You're going to be in a situation one day when you need mercy. The Bible tells us those that give mercy, get mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That's nothing between you and God. No unconfessed sin, no unrepentant sin, no harbored bitterness. Jesus wants to, uh, you to come to him in your doubts and fears as well. So don't hold anything back. He will meet you there. Draw nigh to him. What a promise. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Have you ever uh, had a situation, maybe you have a child, or uh, you know, maybe with your parents where someone walked up to you and said, you look just like your dad. 
You look just like your mom. That's what this is saying. When we're peacemakers, people will call us the sons of God. We're going to look different. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Don't be a drama starter. Be a peacemaker like Jesus. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Following Jesus doesn't equal a life of riches and comfort, but you can still be blessed because life is more than food and raiment. There's more to life than this physical world. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. This is not the consumer Christianity that we've come to know, right? That, uh, you know, God is just the place that I can get stuff. Following Jesus is a sacrifice, but it will be worth it all. Happy and fortunate are those that realize that they are in desperate need of Jesus. We've been going through this Jesus series, studying the words and works of Jesus, because we want to talk like Jesus, and we want to walk like Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray you help each and every one of us, God. Search our hearts, Lord. Root out any sin in my heart, God. Lord, forgive me for the times where I've set out to get people back or do the opposite of peacemaking. God, I pray you search each and every one of our hearts, Lord, and help us to see what is most important. Help us be a church full of peacemakers so that we might go out into the community and bring parties together. Not just keeping peace and appeasing people and ignoring problems, God, but speaking the truth. Putting our ego and our pride to the side. That attitude of, don't you know who I am? That wickedness that crawls up in our heart. God, and when we do feel the slight persecution that we might feel in America, God, help us to push through. Help us to pray for those in other countries, God, that face real and dangerous persecution. God, help us not to set out just to be a jerk and, and use these excuses that, that it's persecution that's the reason. Jesus, we need you today. God, I pray you change us forever. Help us not to be comfortable anymore. Push us forward into places that we haven't gone. God, give us a bigger vision for what you want us to do. Lord, we need you. In your name we pray. Amen. Stand and sing together.
every head bowed and eyes closed. Heading to our time of communion. Jesus is our peacemaker. Jesus is our advocate. Jesus is our go-between, the one that made a way when there was no way. Ephesians 2.12 says, Remember, you were at the time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope without God in the world. That's where we were, separated, alienated, strangers, no hope without God. Verse 13 says, but now in Christ, you who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. We were foreigners and strangers to the people of God. We were on the outside with no promise, no hope without God. But now through Jesus, we who are far away are brought close by the blood of Jesus Christ. He made us one with him and broke down the wall dividing us. Today, as we enter into our time of communion, in this attitude of prayer, we remember our peacemaker. As we take the Lord's Supper, I encourage you to take a moment to meditate upon God's work of redemption and salvation. Let us consider the life that he lived and the death that he died for us and for our salvation to bring us close to God. Let us consider our state when we were dead in our sins and how our lives have been transformed by the gospel. Let us consider that he sought us while we were still sinners May our love and gratitude for Christ deepen as we consider the great salvation that our peacemaker has brought us. So let's take a minute and pray and thank God for all he has done for us and who he is. Our peacemaker. Let's also in a moment of prayer search our heart for any sin before we partake.